welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a YA literature podcast, their filmic adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And I'm surprised that you're even talking to me. <laughs> I honestly wasn't sure if this would just be an hour of one-sided conversation and stony silence. Oh, so this week we're talking about after the Anna Todd Disaster? Allegedly, it's a novel, I guess, <laughs> and the film. And I was pretty mad at Joe about midweek when I finished the book. Although I have to say, so listeners who have been paying careful attention to my ramblings at the beginning of the podcast will know that I have just moved. Yes. Joe and I have been on a little bit of a recording sabbatical while you've been hearing the first few episodes of the season. And uh, I started a new job on Thursday. And I'm glad I finished after on Wednesday because... <laughs> I had time to shake off all my rage about it. I was worried that you were going to make a really terrible first impression because you'd just be so cranky <laughs> about this entire side project. And you'd go in, meet new oh. colleagues, and just be like, let me tell you about after. <laughs> let me tell you about a really disturbing new adult romance that I just read because my friend from university made me. I make poor choices. Yes. And also, can we put romance into oh, I know, right? air quotes of the very strongest nature? I know we're going to get into this when we get into it, but I'm really struggling with the format of this book, which ultimately it's not a romance. Like, it's erotica. Yeah. And like, there is better erotica out there. It's like yes. part of the Wattpad phenomenon here. So this is another one of these books that was self-published on Wattpad in a serialized form. And oh boy, can you tell. Oh my god, can you tell. But like as as free smut, I can see what the appeal was, right? But the idea that you then you then just repackage that as a novel, paying no respect. I don't know, like this is a whole genre that m many other people do better than yes. Anna Todd. And so Anna Todd's success is like roll roll annoying. Yes, and she she single-handedly launched the Wattpad to film phenomenon. It's mm -hmm. because of After that we got things like The Kissing Booth, which mm. previous episode, this might sound very similar to some of the concerns <laughs> that we raised in that one, but this is demonstrably worse. Okay, so now that our listeners know what to expect, should we yes. give them a slight reprieve and talk homework? We haven't recorded in a month, right, Joe? So I'm assuming you did something in that time. I did. I've actually stockpiled a bunch of different options. So. <gasps> Look at you! I know, right? So responsible. So I'm going to start with one that is a full-on reprieve from after because I needed something good. I needed a light, <laughs> a shining light in this world. <laughs> I believe you talked about it before, and I know a couple of people had recommended the author. I can't remember if they had recommended the title. But I'm going to talk about Meredith Russo's If I Was Your Girl. Oh, I love it so much. And I'm about to go and pick up Birthday, which is the second book, not in the series or anything, but her second book. But I haven't read it yet. But tell me how much you loved it. I totally loved it. I knew you would. <laughs> yes. So this is one of those books that it's hard to do it justice without simply advising people to go and seek it out. Mm -hmm. It's quietly phenomenal yeah. in the way that it's telling a very conventional story, like in terms of the way it's written, in terms of the way the book itself is structured, 
So I'm not going to dance around it. This is the story of a trans girl who has undergone... Gender confirmation Thank surgery. you. Yes, mm -hmm. I was like, it's not a cosmetic piece. No. <laughs> Much as the government would like you to think it is. Mm. This is a male to female transition, and she's gone through some really bad stuff. But the book opens as she's making her way south to live with her father so that she can try going to high school as a girl without the baggage mm -hmm. of everyone knowing that she has transitioned. So, of course, in this case, the book takes a bunch of familiar YA tropes in that she's got a secret, she falls in love with a boy, everything seems to be going well, and you're waiting for the needle to drop and for people to find out and how they're going to react. And the thing that works about this book is that it's leaning into the fantasy that mm -hmm. this girl would be able to have her surgery, that she would be femme enough to pass reasonably well without having to worry about some of the things that come with that. And Meredith Russo actually has a whole section in the book like as a an afterword about how she knows that it is a fantasy and mm -hmm. she knows that not everyone is lucky enough to be able to have the right bone structure or the right physical accompaniments to pass as successfully as this character Amanda mm -hmm. but the book is just so highly readable Amanda is such a beautifully fully realized character that you can't help but absolutely love her and mm -hmm. cheer for her and want her to find romance and acceptance. The relationship between her father is beautifully rendered. He is so afraid of hurting her that he handles her with kid gloves, which of course as a teenager she misinterprets mm -hmm. as him not accepting her. And the arcs are just perfect. They're everything that you want from this book. And I love the fact that the ending has a note of ambiguity about where her relationship lies in terms of the romance. I'm saying that as, I apologize, a bit of a spoiler, but also because I ultimately don't think it matters because the book is so much more about her finding herself and being her true authentic person. And I'm not going to lie. I had a full-on meltdown, <laughs> ugly cry, and then had to go and tell my mother all about it because I was staying with my parents at a film festival. And it was just so great. It's so great. It's a conversation starter. I think for a lot of people who are interested in learning more about trans rights and trans issues, but it's not done in a morally condescending, preachy, mm -hmm. even treacly. It's just... It's fantastic. It's everything I think YA should be. And in my wildest dreams, I would love to see it adapted as a film. I think what I love about that book so much is that it is the fantasy. Mm -hmm. Straight cis girls get to read, especially straight white cis girls, get to read infinite fantasy romance stories. Mm -hmm. Go to the YA section at chapters and throw a dart and you will hit six of them. <laughs> like... Pick up after. <laughs> no fantasy of mine. But it's a centerpiece of the sort of category, right? Yep. And so what we end up seeing is the people who are left out of the fantasy. So women of color stories often be end up being so sort of issue-oriented. And yep. queer and trans narratives that end up being primarily about trauma. And Gwen Benaway, who's an indigenous poet, and, a, and she's trans, and she's written, she writes extensively about both identity categories and how they function in publishing. 
And she talks a lot about this idea that she's sort of expected to perform her trauma over and over again. That's what publishing houses are most interested in. Yeah, of course. Tragedy porn. <laughs> right. Trauma porn. And like, there are so many quietly revolutionary things happening in this book. Just the very fact that it's not a transition story. Yes. That the transition happens before and that this is a story about life. Yep. And it's not to downplay the traumas that are revealed in the text, but that's not all our protagonist gets to be. That's not the whole of her story. And right. we don't spend our entire narrative... <sighs> We don't spend our entire narrative reveling in trauma. And no. I think that especially, I mean, this is an important, like, just own voices story so that young trans kids can see, like, a narrative like this. Absolutely. I think it's also a really important piece for cis audiences to be like, there's life beyond and apart from and separate from transition. I was just reading on Twitter this morning, Amanda Jatay Knox. So she has a book that's just out called Love Lives Here. She's a mom in Ottawa whose daughter came out as trans. And very shortly after, her spouse did as well. Oh, really? And they stayed married. And then so she has this whole coming out about her own sexuality as a result of this. And it's, yep. they've done it very publicly. There were a lot of stories in the Ottawa Citizen and but this book coming out, and one of the things that she's been talking about on Twitter this morning is how when she worked with the publisher, it was really important to her that this wasn't a story about, oh, I had a son and then I had a daughter, which is what so many of these yeah. parenting narratives end up being about. Yeah. You always had a daughter. You always had a daughter. And so she never dead names her daughter in the book. She doesn't include like before and after pictures in the book. Okay. And it's, again, this sort of quietly revolutionary step to turn trans people like people. Yeah. Right? Who get to and be the in people control that of their own stories. Been. And the people yeah. that they've always been. Yeah. Which is not to say that people who want to tell the story of their transition or who stake a big component of their identity on that before and after like that's not wrong either but that's been the only version of the story that we've seen yeah it's like a subgenre of trans narratives right mm -hmm. and we've been getting the same subgenre repeatedly ad nauseum and all of a sudden people are saying oh there's other interesting mm -hmm. just as valid stories like it doesn't negate the transition storyline but there's other stories to be told and mm -hmm. i feel like that's the difference between representation and real stories yes. is there's a kind of diversity tick of yes we've got transition stories so we've covered off on <laughs> We're trans done. stuff yeah yeah let's celebrate we've accomplished everything we ever wanted to do yep yeah you're like or we could also tell all these other fascinating relevant you know well-crafted amazing stories and showcase that these are real people with real lives and real interesting things to talk about. Again, not negating the other piece, but just it's so demoralizing when you see the same story told mm -hmm. for decades at a time. And I feel like we're finally on the cusp of having new stories to tell as well. And I think ultimately this is why Own Voices is such an important movement, right? Because if you embrace and include a multiplicity of own voices folks telling their stories, you will, by definition, end up with a multiplicity of experiences, right? right? Whereas if you have what we have had in publishing for most of publishing, which is the few trans narratives that emerge are written by cis folks, you're always going to have sort of one version of that story. Anyway, I loved it. I'm so glad you read it. I'm so glad you're thrilled about it. I'm going to yes. read birthday soon and I'll, I'll let you know how that one is. 
<laughs> yes, and just a, a spoiler for next week, I'm actually going to talk about a second trans narrative that I read that I also enjoyed so much, I immediately forced you to go out and buy it so that we can talk about it. It's literally sitting on the desk next to me right now. So cool. Yay. That's Yay. a tease for next week. Everybody come back. <laughs> so I was not very readery on our break. You were maybe just a little bit busy. <laughs> it's weird. I don't remember the last time I went a whole month without finishing a book, but this last month was a whole month without finishing a book. Yeah. It had been a while for me. I do have two things I want to flag. One piece of homework and one thing that might be of interest to our listeners. So okay. I did see Spider-Man Far From Home. Oh, so good. Okay, so it's super good, and I super enjoyed it, and I think this iteration of Spider-Man, in terms of big screen iterations, is my favorite, but I haven't seen Into the Spider-Verse, so let me caveat that, because everybody uh, keeps telling me that will be my favorite when I see it. It absolutely will be, yeah. <laughs> But I really, I don't remember the young man who plays Spider-Man. Tom Holland. He's delightful. He's really yes. quite cute. I love MJ. Yes. It's funny because we just talked about everyday technically to listeners but it was quite a while ago that we were talking about it for us so when I was editing that episode I realized that I kept talking about how the two actors Jacob Batalon and Anne Gary Rice were in Spider-Man together and then they actually have a romance in this new film but we were talking about it like who is she I can't remember her in this movie <laughs> it was very silly sorry I interjected no, that's okay. No, I just wanted to say I really enjoyed it. I will say I missed the last 10 minutes because I went and saw it at baby time and my toddler decided the last 10 minutes were too scary. Oh, okay. So we left. So I don't actually know how it ended, but <laughs> it's like the most mom core thing I've ever said. But no, I just want to say like, I'm really, I'm glad that Marvel is pushing ahead with some of these reinventions of characters in spite of the more conservative elements of fandom. Yes. Wish they would push it further. Zendaya has taken a lot of flack online so from people calling her not my MJ and all this <sighs> other BS. And I love that she doesn't back down. She pushes back. She's so assuredly self-confident. I mm -hmm. love it. And I just think she's fantastic. She's a great MJ. It's a reinvention of the character. And I love it. Like, I love the sort of guarded kind of snarkiness about her. Yes. It's a more interesting route for the character to take because we've seen sort of the doe-eyed MJ like 4,000 times. Mm -hmm. Like We don't need it again, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I just thought it was delightful. If you haven't seen it yet, it's worth your time. And I just, I love a true high school Spider-Man. Yes. Where high school is a set piece because that's an important component of that character and the arc that he's on. And so I always get nervous when Peter Parker starts acting too adult. So really liked it. And then the second piece is we've sent you all to Debbie Reese's Twitter feed a million times before. Mm -hmm. Debbie Reese runs the blog American Indians in Children's Literature and writes really eloquently about diversity, particularly around Indigenous issues and the problems in publishing. So this week on Twitter, there's been lots of book recommendation lists out, given that it's a new school year, and most schools in the States, I think, have now started. So there's a lot of talk about what students will be reading this year and classics and stuff. And Debbie Reese has been taking apart one particularly conservative list that came out this week. Right. So I'm just, I'm sending everyone to her Twitter again, just to remember that, especially if you're buying books for kids in your life, it's not to say that there's no space for some of these quote-unquote classics, but 
they need to be addressed mindfully. <laughs> you need to shake them up. They need to be addressed mindfully. If all that you're recommending is Child's Garden of Verse and the original Curious George, like you're missing out on a huge world of children's lit. Yes. Gosh, she posts some excerpts from Child's Garden of Verse. Like it's been a million years since I've looked at that book. Not good. Well, I'll send you the link, Joan. We can post it to the show notes. Sure. She posted one of the poems from Child's Garden of Verse, and it's from the perspective of a little white boy, and it's like to the foreign children, and the recurring refrain is, don't you wish you were like me? Ugh. It's not like, oh man, yeah, if you kind of think about what's going on in Curious George, it's a pretty disturbing allegory for slavery. It's like right there on the surface, man. Come not on. even subtext. Just a timely reminder. It's back to school. Kids are going to be coming home with copies of God, Little House on the Prairie and Little Women in their backpack without being given proper context around it. So a reminder to teachers. I know we have lots of teachers who listen. I know we've got parents who listen. You know, kids can handle conversations about problematic material. Yes. Start them young. <laughs> yeah. And give them the language to talk about race and sexuality and gender and inclusion so that when they have questions they have the language to have those conversations anyway we'll link to that particular thread in the show notes today okay sounds good mm -hmm. okay we really put off getting to the book hey <laughs> we try i mean i feel like we should just apologize up front to anybody who actually enjoys either of these two iterations of after but this is going to be a venti, complainy, very unhappy, you know, 45 minutes to come. It's very rare that Joe and I are 100% on the same page about things. And I think we do have some, we definitely aren't 100% on the same page. But we usually don't both hate both texts. This is true. <laughs> I mean, usually one of us is like arguing for some redeeming feature of some component of one of them. I'm going to try to argue for the smallest, slightest little element of the film, but overall, these are both trash fire garbage heaps yeah. that everyone should avoid with every fiber of their being. And I'm going to post that before we even drop this episode, <laughs> just so that people don't waste their time no, don't waste reading time. or watching either of these two things. And I think I feel generally the same way as you, Joe, because the book is completely loathsome to me, and I just found the film boring and bland. Absolutely. And both are a waste of your time. But I guess I should tell you what the book's about. I'm so excited to <laughs> hear you try to do this. <laughs> okay, so the book is called After. It's written by Anna Todd. It is actually the first book in a series. And Joe, I'm happy to do this once, but if you so much as suggest no. we look mm -mm. at a sequel, okay, nope. this nope. whole project will be over. I'm just saying I can't do this again. <laughs> yes, fully with you. The genesis of the book is that it is a One Direction fan fiction. You so betcha. It is a thinly veiled, what we call a Mary Sue narrative. Mary Sue <laughs> being where the author interjects herself as the protagonist in a fan fiction. Love story between an Anna Todd surrogate and Harry Styles from One Direction. You betcha. Yes. With Zayn Malik as the bad alternative boyfriend. Is that who that was? That's who Zed is meant to be. Oh, see, the problem, right off the bat, my One Direction knowledge was oh. not strong enough for this. Who could care? And people have actually said that, aside from the names, it's not at all even representative. She's randomly shoehorning these characters in as proxies, but it doesn't apparently work all that well. Well, and he's British, right? That's the main thing. 
He is, yes. He's British. So, okay, so the premise of the book is that Tessa, our main character, Tessa Young, really telegraphing a lot of stuff with that name. Uh, (laughs) She's leaving high school, starting university. Her mom is desperate for some reason for her to go to Central Washington University. They treat it like it's an Ivy League dance school. (laughs) She has sacrificed so So much. much To send you to this random, what I assume is a state school. CWU fans, feel free to write in. Sure. (laughs) So she gets to university and, oh, so her mom is very controlling, very overbearing. Possibly religious. Possibly religious. Never actually explained. No. She's definitely afraid of sex and booze. Oh, for sure. And Tessa dresses modestly, but we're never told, like, P.S. she's Mormon. Right. (laughs) There's no context for any of this. Which is strange because literally every other thought that pops into her vacant head is put onto the page. So I don't know why we can't get clarity around <laughs> that issue. I don't understand why in a 600 oh. page book, we can't at least find out whether or not she has a religion. Whatever. Anyway, yeah. so mom is super overbearing, but Tessa is not rebellious. She's got a boyfriend named Noah. Noah. And also telling. Yeah, true. And I want to point out that, like, Noah is fine. I think that we're supposed to read him as being, like, super controlling, but she never gives us any of that. He just seems like he thinks that he understands what her value system is and he wants to help support it as she goes away to university. Like, if you're telegraphing to me that he's a bad guy worth being cheated on, you've done a poor job. Yeah, he's such an odd character to me because... More so in the film, he's just positioned as the wrong partner from the beginning. Yeah, in the film, yes. But in the... In the book... Not at all. No. (laughs) Unless you're meant to side with Harden, who is the bad boy love interest, who just immediately pegs him as a square who's boring because he wears clothes from the Gap and loafers. Yeah. I don't understand. No, I don't understand, particularly in a moment when, like, those are very on-point <laughs> fashion pieces. Especially for university students. Yeah, yeah, it's, the whole thing is, anyway, we're just, I feel like I'm going to keep saying this whole thing is very odd. Mm-hmm. And just incredulous mouth drops, because why? Why is any of it happening? I don't yeah. know. So, yeah. she gets to university, and her mom and Noah drop her off at school, and um, they meet her roommate, Steph. Steph has tattoos and has colorful hair and a piercing. So we're meant to understand that she's a slut. Yes. Immediately. Mm-hmm. And um, like all normal, well-hinged parents, <laughs> Tessa's mom's first reaction when she sees a, a woman with a tattoo and some colorful hair in her daughter's room is to immediately want to request a room change. Like, of course. None of these reactions make any sense. No. So, Or they're so antiquated. Yes. Or maybe we're just missing the context. I was so unsure if there were cultural signifiers of people who maybe live in the South or the Midwest. Like, I don't know if Anna Todd is capitalizing on stereotypical reactions to any kind of non-conservatism yeah. in people's behavior. Is a tattoo like a demarcation of punk rock to people? Because I don't get it. 
the weird villainization of punk rock yes. that hasn't been appropriate since Blink One Eighty Two existed. Like, the, it's yeah. just like these things. These are concepts that have been so mainstreamed, and yet she's trying to treat them as wildly rebellious. And yes. I wonder, like, I didn't look into her background at all. I know nothing about her except that she married her high school sweetheart, and he's an Iraq War veteran. So she's been an army wife. Yes. And I, while I recognize that the U.S. military is an inherently conservative space, it is not a space that is for example afraid of tattoos no no this honestly feels like a 1950s approach to relationships and gender roles and stepping outside of the mainstream it's so bizarre it's very odd and the way it's funny because the way she describes like tessa's clothes as being sort of she's trying to articulate that they are so modest as to be rendered ridiculous except like what she's describing, like the sort of sackcloth skirt and oversized top, is like everything for sale at Muji right now. <laughs> you know? Gotcha. Like, it's just, all of it is confusing. All of it feels like it's written by someone who is so profoundly disconnected from the culture. Or reality. And yet, this book, in its Wattpad form, had a billion downloads. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, it is me who is wrong. <laughs> I don't understand. And one of the things I want us to try, apart from just railing on how terribly written this is, how horrible the relationship is, and how it celebrates abusive relationships and all these other things, I feel like I need us to try to unpack why this is so successful. And we'll get there. We We don't have to do it right now. But I am struggling with it because, so we've, we've sort of set up who Noah is. So Tessa doesn't drink, and Tessa has agreed she doesn't want to have sex until she's married. She doesn't even masturbate. She doesn't even masturbate. And so Noah is supportive of these choices. Like, obviously, he has the same value system as her, but primarily Mm -hmm. his role in the text is, like, he keeps saying, like, okay, you're drinking and you're at a party, but I thought you didn't want to do those things. And he continually, like, welcomes her back into the fold when she transgresses. So... There's nothing about him. He's not controlling. He's literally just trying to uphold the value system that she herself has expressed. And it's okay. You know, you go to university, your value system changes. That's part of what happens. But like to try to position him as anything other than wildly supportive of every choice she makes, it just rings so false to the way the character is constructed. So that's him. Yes. I would say the thing that rubbed me the wrong way about him as a character is the way that he tattles to her mom. But that yes. also is a drop plot point that just kind of immediately disappears after the first hundred or so pages. Well, yes, because when the stakes are actually really high, he doesn't, right? No. And so I don't understand where that set piece comes from and, and leaves again. And I also, again, because we don't somehow in 600 pages get absolutely no backstory about either of these characters, we don't know why. No, there's no backstory to any of these characters. No, it's true. So the important thing is about that relationship, the only thing we really know in terms of uh, Tessa, I almost called her Anna, in terms of Anna Todd and her mother, which she's clearly working out some issues. You betcha. I texted Joe when I started reading the book. So Anna Todd proudly wrote this book while she was like at her kids' soccer games and like in the the lineup at the grocery store and the whole thing on her phone. And like, she's very proud of that. And I She should be less proud. All I can visualize when I see her describing that is, oh my God, I can't remember her name, but from Mean Girls when she's like, I'm not a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. (laughs) Amy Bowler. Yes. Like constantly that image is going through my head when I read the scenes. Like she's trying to construct this mom narrative who's clearly like the anti-Anna Todd. So anyway. Yeah. 
But the mom is a single mom. The dad was an alcoholic and left when Tessa was 10. That becomes important later. Does it? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, no, okay. So who is Harden? Tell me about Harden. I was going to say, through Steph, we meet bad boy Harden. So bad. So a a number of things mark Harden as a very bad boy. He has Mm -hmm. spiky gelled hair. (gasps) He has tattoos. (gasps) He owns several Ramones t-shirts. No. Like, you can literally buy a Ramones t-shirt at Target now, so I don't know what. Brenna, he's so bad. He keeps a stack of black t-shirts in his trunk. Oh my god. And a leather jacket. Don't forget his leather jacket. You betcha. And his sexy British accent. Mm. Oh my god. If the movie confirmed nothing else to me, it's that not everybody with the last name Fines can act. Oh gosh. No. (laughs) Mm -mm. Yes, so he's obviously the very bad boy, and... She doesn't like him because he's mean to her. He's very dismissive of her modest dress, her desire not to drink, her high school boyfriend, very dismissive of all of these things. And at a party, they're playing truth or dare, and it comes out that she is a virgin. That becomes important later. Does it? (laughs) Yes, it does. Literally, this book is only interested in one thing, and that is the fact that she is a virgin. Yep. Who wants to drive? That was a clueless reference, but... (laughs) I want to talk about this piece about virginity. I recognize we haven't gotten through a plot summary yet, and I need listeners to understand that's because there isn't a plot. Well, here, I'll do the rest for you. (laughs) Sure, go for it. Here's what happens. Every single interaction, aka every single chapter, is basically just her talking about how she has this irresistible attraction to him, but she hates him because he makes her cry every time that they talk. And Mm -hmm. then he interjects with something that's the tiniest, slightest nicety. And she says, oh my gosh, maybe he's changed. Maybe he is nice. Mm -hmm. And then he either grabs her wrist or forces her to kiss him. Mm -hmm. And then he says something about how she's so boring or she's dressed so ugly, but he also has wanted to her since he first saw her or he can't imagine having her wrapped around his yeah you're gonna have to bleep all this stuff remember our clean rating (laughs) it just uh and she gets really upset and then she yells at him and they scream at each other publicly they go from zero to a hundred in the space of one paragraph and then she storms away crying and then it just repeats ad nauseum for 600 pages. I'm actually glad you brought up the F word and the way it is employed in the text because this is another component that feels wildly antiquated and this might well just be my cultural positioning as Canadian, (laughs) as not, well no, no, as not prudish. So, okay, for context, you've been able to say the F word on primetime on Canadian television since 1988. Right? right. It's usually just that you get one. You get one. You have to employ it sure. very strategically. But it's not scandalous. No. That happened for the very first time on television anywhere in North America in, are you ready for this? Degrassi? It happened in Degrassi School's Out. <laughs> <laughs> which was either ninety, which was either 88 or 91. But it's been sort of a set yeah. piece of Canadian television that you can S-bombs galore and you get yeah. one F-bomb per episode, basically. Yeah, it's not taboo no. anymore. And so the way that, like, she is so... She's so meek. She's so confused by the F-word. And I'm just yes. like, what? Where? What? And this is why I jokingly reference the fact that she doesn't masturbate because she seems to have grown up in a cocoon wherein she doesn't 
know her body or understand what sex or sexuality is in any frame, which is honestly why I kept thinking, where's the Mormonism or where is the Christianity? Like seem kind of evangelical fundamentalism. Because it doesn't make sense otherwise, because people don't not know their bodies to the level that she doesn't. It's unrealistic to the max. Yeah, and you hear a sophomore university student say that he wants to F someone and you're like shocked and confused that he would use such language? Like, I'm just, yeah. it, every time she was surprised by the F word, I was mad because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no. And after the first time, why are you still surprised? You know, like yeah. it just was weird. But I want to come back to, yeah, so to spool out the rest of the plot, sorry. They continue to have this, like, we're getting close, we're fighting, we're getting close, we're fighting, we're getting close, we're fighting thing. And it's meant to be the opposites attract, and we get all these literary references that they're meant to be based on, which I'm just going to give you a 20-minute section to rant about. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the fact that we're supposed to believe he's intellectual because he appears to have read two books, Pride and Prejudice and Wuthering Heights. (laughs) So... They... Oh, and The Great Gatsby. Oh my I, god. That's in the, the film, sorry. <laughs> no, that's in the book too. They end up living together because her mom comes no. to... No, I just... No, that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Her mom comes to the university and discovers that she is with uh, what's, uh, Harden, what's-his-face. And so she... Okay, going to put a pin in this again because yeah well seriously right i'm going to put a pin in this again to point out that anna todd has no idea how university works Mm-mm. because Mm-mm. okay so t- for two reasons one you can't rearrange your schedule in the middle of a semester because you got an internship at a book publishing company no you cannot uh two she goes to class every day this like she has literature class every single day like she goes to the same five classes every day doesn't make any sense no i I think she has literature mondays wednesdays and fridays or something no i don't think that's true joe i think she goes every day because she talks about how she talks about it as being a class she goes to every day because when she goes to the internship two days a week she's missing two classes Okay. Um, so that's a thing. And also, when her mom cuts her off in the middle of semester and isn't going to pay for her housing anymore, yeah. you don't pay rent monthly to university. No, you got to pay for that dorm room up front. Yeah, she's paid up at least for the semester, if not for the yes. year. Yeah. So all of these components, and it's, I'm definitely, this is not me saying only people with university degrees shall write books, because I don't believe that. But where was the editor, which we will come back to as a point, but where was the editor to say, like, this isn't how things happen? Yes, see also the kissing booth. See also the kissing booth, I know. (laughs) Which was written by a child. This was written by an adult. (laughs) That's the big difference, and that's why this text is so much worse. So she gets... She gets cut off by her mom, so she has to find somewhere else to live. So they rent an apartment together. Mm-hmm. And you start to wonder, like, where does Boyo here get all his money? Because he doesn't seem to do anything all day. He has a secret job where he works from home for a publishing company, but except that he never does, and you never see him do it. He also doesn't go to class. Oh, let me point out that she, as a freshman, is maintaining a 4.0 GPA while no, she is apparently never not. going to class. No, or doing any or work, doing any because homework. she's always off going on dates with him and having yelling matches in the street. Like, does she hand in a single paper in the entire book? No, she does not. So let's just put a pin in that as well yeah um they move in together when you start to have these questions about where the money is coming from it's about the last three chapters where she starts to have a reason to question any of this 
Anyway, it turns out that the reason he has all this money is because he made this bet with his idiot and apparently wildly wealthy friends that he could bed the virgin. Yes, and to, to the extent that he has enough money to rent an apartment from this. Yeah. <laughs> but also, this is the plot of She's All That. And all I could do was say, am I a bet? Am I a stupid bet? <laughs> um, okay. So now that I've finally gotten through the plot, oh yeah, and so the end of the book is on this cliffhanger where she has just found out that it was all about a bet, and he's trying to say, no, I really did love you, everything changed, I do love you, and she's like, I was just a bet, because the other thing is that all the way through the text, there's all these erotic components where he's like, he's like, (laughs) where he awkwardly her yeah, are we allowed and... to say that on the Queen podcast? There's some oral sex scenes. Yes. But he finally beds her, and that's what gives him yes. the money to do all these things. So, yes, B-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b. which he produces in the form of bloodstains. Oh, yeah, I forgot he. That's why she asks if he will throw out the sheets because she doesn't want her roommate to see them, and he takes them to show his friends because he's yes. the best. Okay, so this is where I wanted to get to. Okay. Can, oh, can I interject for one moment? Yeah. So if people had the unfortunate nature to have actually read this book and it seems like the end just happens, it's because this was literally published as one single volume. And then when Anna Todd got her billion readers and Wattpad said, hey, Simon & Schuster, you should publish this as a book series, they arbitrarily cut the single story into... I think four books originally, and now there's five, or they cut it into five. Who could care? I'm sorry, are you trying to tell me that this 600-page book is actually like a 30,000-page book? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So it was just (gasps) written as one single tomb where she would publish a chapter every day while she was shopping in the grocery store at her son's soccer games. Can we talk about the part where you're writing erotica while watching your son play soccer? Is that a thing we can talk about? I do not want to talk about this. (laughs) Nope. Okay, so let me come back to the point that I wanted to make since the beginning of this episode, which is there are large components of, I want to say American society, but I recognize that we have similarly fundamentalist, religious, and conservative groups in Canada as well. And probably other parts of the world as well. And probably other parts of the world as well. But I only know the North American context. Sure. This obsession with technical virginity, Uh, I find baffling. uh, Utterly, utterly baffling. Like... uh, If the purpose of expectations around virginity, and let's be real, it's just patriarchy, but like if you're putting a veneer of protecting your heart for the one true love, but don't forget to give your special self over to the only person who will love you and make sure that it's right. But then shouldn't that be about chastity not virginity not technical virginity like this idea that she is still a virginal flower when she's been like on a dock like i just (laughs) (laughs) that's not a sentence i ever thought i would get to hear you say I just, it's this, and I, it, it come, I, I recognize, like, before you write in, folks, I recognize that it comes from patriarchal structures, and it absolutely comes from compulsive heterosexuality and heteronormative culture, where, like, penis in vagina sex is the only thing that actually counts. Right. But if the goal is around maintaining a sense of personal bodily autonomy until you're with someone who you want to give that over to then it's not about technical virginity, is it? Like, it's about 
It's about chastity. And I really balk at these books that make that heterosexual, normative sexual act some kind of holy grail of sexuality. Yes. Like, was she less sort of bound up in him emotionally before? No, she wasn't. No. She acts exactly the same to him throughout the entire book. Yeah, I actually can't figure out why it's called After. Like, I went into this thinking I was going to be really mad that this is one of those books where it's like, having sex changes everything. But it's ultimately, like, it's a book about an awakening of woman's sexuality. It's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's intended to be. Okay. And, and placing... If that's what the narrative is about, and I think on some level it is, then surely... Well, that's why the bed is supposed to matter, right? Right, right, exactly. But surely her capacity to achieve orgasm makes more sense as like the moment of fundamental change than really awkwardly described penetrative vaginal sex. Yeah. So I don't know if this is where we want to begin to tackle the appeal (laughs) of this book. Because I found the sex scenes, I mean, I don't enjoy erotica. I'm fully capable of admitting that I don't know that I'm the target audience. I don't particularly enjoy reading it as an imaginative piece. Mm -hmm. Because I often find that it's very poorly written. It's not particularly sexy and it more just makes me uncomfortable. Maybe that Mm -hmm. says more about me than it does about the actual text. But reading the passages where Anna Todd is so obviously trying to be provocative Mm -hmm. and sexual Mm -hmm. and ooh, this will really get my my readers fired up, did not work. The stuff she describes as dirty talk. Yes. (laughs) There's one point where he's like, can I touch you? And she's like, his dirty talk drove me wild. I'm like, what are you, what? Oh, it's so laughable. It's so bad. That's why I couldn't understand how this managed to garner so many eyeballs on Wattpad. Because, as you said off the top, it's not well written. No. And there's better examples. Oh, there's way better examples. But here's the reason why it's popular on Wattpad. It's free. Teenage girls don't get a lot of representations of their sexuality. And it's free. But I think there's probably even better versions on Wattpad is what I'm thinking. I mean, there probably are. I think she was savvy in making this a One Direction yes. connection, right? Yeah, that, so I mean, when that this was originally eyeballs. published, Hardin was actually named Harry yes. Styles. And so I think that's a huge part of it. But, you know, yeah. it's funny because I maybe, I don't know if we want to transition to the film or not, but last night I texted you while I was watching the film and I was like, roll kind of hard to make a film about blossoming female sexuality when you work in an industry that is afraid to show orgasms for women. Yeah. Well, let, let's move into the movie talk okay. then, and we can back and forth it a little bit. Cool. Call and text every day. Mom, it's college. It's not a survival course. It'll be fine. Truth or dare? Okay, truth. Are you a virgin? <laughs> I'll do dare. I dare you to make out with her. I'm done playing this game. Oh, I like this girl. Deep question. Who is Harden Scott? I think that it's better if we keep our distance. <laughs> so good, Welcome so to my good. favorite place. I <laughs> thought that you just wanted to be friends. 
I don't think we can ever be just friends. The movie, which came out earlier this year, 2019, is directed by Jenny Gage. And this is more or less her feature film debut from a narrative. I think she's also directed a documentary. She's one of four co-writers. The original writer is Susan McMartin. She left the project in 2017. Mad props, Sus. I assume that she's she smart. woke up and had a realization <laughs> that her life could be so much better than this. So what year did that happen? That was in 2017. So in 2017, the drugs wore off. <laughs> or a better offer came in. Yeah. She finally woke up from the trank dart. <laughs> So this has two other writers, Tom Betterton and Tamara Chestnut. So of the four screenwriters it took to bring this cinematic marvel to the screen, three of them are women to which I say, ladies, do better for yourselves. It's true. Men, I would expect. Women, I expect more. But let's talk about the constraints here, right? If we think about something like Blue Valentine, which garnered a hard R rating, basically for its depiction of a female orgasm. Heaven forbid. They're trying to make a movie that teens can attend, right? It's PG-13. They're hemmed in by that PG-13 rating to tell a story of, again, female sexual awakening, Mm -hmm. where you can't actually show female sexuality. Cool. It's all implied. Cool, cool, cool. It has to fall within the chase definitions of what is acceptable for a YA film property, which is affection and burgeoning love, but not sexuality or even sexual intimacy, well, this which is, is the what whole the thing. book is trying to traffic in. So a teenage girl is going to have a really hard time, teenage girl anywhere, but a teenage girl particularly in conservative surroundings is going to have an almost non-existent opportunity to see representations of her own sexuality. Yeah on screen or in books and so I get why the Wattpad sensation was what it was because yeah I'm just reading Harry Styles fanfic mom and dad p.s. it's like hardcore erotica badly written Mm -hmm. but hardcore erotica with strong representations and by strong I don't mean good I mean like explicit representations of orgasm right not something these young women are going to have any other exposure to the idea that you then try to make that into a film And you make it from he's got to bed the virgin to he's going to make her fall in love with him. Yes. Stakes are now way down. Yep. Comparatively because of what a weird culture we live in. And it just sucks. I mean, it's just boring. (laughs) It is. If you could even describe them as interesting or perverted or sexual any of those enticing elements that might have drawn people into the book as a little bit of a naughty treat have just been sanded off for this film and what we're left with is the most bland of attractive people yelling at each other in public and then going for a half naked swim yes yes and Okay, so I've read, sorry, tell them the synopsis of the film, tell them who's in it, and then I have several complaints. Okay. (laughs) Ooh, way to set me up. (laughs) So this film has, basically it has two famous people as its central characters, and then it's got a bunch of people I've never heard of, and then it does a tiny bit of stunt casting with the adults. I didn't know these people were famous. Go on. Okay, so 
Tessa, our female lead, is played by Josephine Langford, and she is the sister of Catherine Langford, who is the protagonist from 13 Reasons Why. So not famous, but she has a famous connection that people in YA circles may know her for. Okay. Okay. I'm just interested in this whole family that's made up entirely of blocks of wood, but go on. And apparently bad choices in property for Mm -hmm. YA. Mm -hmm. So... Our bad boy, ooh, so magically delicious, is played <laughs> by Hero Finds Tiffin. Shout out to Brennan Klein from Scream 101 and Attack of the Queer Wolf. He has talked about the film version after a couple of times. I actually tried to secretly see if he would be interested in joining us for this discussion, and he firmly said no <laughs> and wished us the best of luck. <laughs> But he did He did applaud this particular actor's most British of names, and he is the nephew of Joseph and Ray Fiennes. And yeah, the apple has fallen very far away from the tree in terms of talent. Here. Some sort of grafting situation that happened there. <laughs> I texted Joe last night while I was watching the movie, and I was like, okay, I cannot even with these mediocre white boys being foisted upon me as romantic heroes. He's not believable. He's not even attractive. But go on. Yeah, I would be very interested to hear if we do have any young listeners, whether these two work for anyone. He is so bad in this movie. He's actually British, and I didn't believe his British accent. I didn't either! (laughs) So I started watching the movie with Brian, who... (laughs) Peaced out. He pulled the parachute cord after about 10 minutes because he could not handle it. God love him. Last night I was like, Dev, I have, I have to watch after. Do you want to watch it with me? And he goes, no, I do not. He built a bookshelf instead. Better use of time. <laughs> I thought that they had Americanized Hardin yeah. for the film version. Yeah. And it wasn't until maybe no. 25 minutes into the film that I realized, oh, no, he does have an accent. <laughs> and for some reason, he can't keep it couldn't keep it up folks okay so though that's so that's tessa and that's harden and then we've got a bunch of other people who i don't really know dylan arnold as noah i think i've seen him in something but who could care we've got khadija red thunder as steph i actually thought she was one of the okay-ish parts of this film but yeah she was steph okay-ish. is given nothing to do she's got seven lines yeah We've got Shane Paul McGee as Landon, who is Harden's pseudo-quasi stepbrother. They diversified him, so he's black in the film. We've got uh, Nana Sarkis as Molly. She is also presumably Ben. I mean, the problem with all of these supporting characters is that you don't know anything about them, except when they walk in and deliver a line about, oh, Tessa, I thought you and Harden were fighting, or oh, Tessa, I thought you and Harden were porking. And that's their only function in the text. They don't exist as actual people. I cannot keep them straight. Like, I kept not being sure if I was looking at Jace or what, Zed. I don't even know who Jace is. Because <laughs> I, I did the thing where I watched the movie halfway through reading the book because I needed a reprieve. <laughs> and then I couldn't keep them apart because literally they both just do the exact same thing where they fight and make up and have sex and then do the exact same thing over and over again so i then had to read plot descriptions of both the book and the film and every time jace came up i couldn't tell you 
who Jace is or why he matters. Same with a character called Logan, who I was convinced was Landon. Landon. I thought they were the same person as well. <laughs> Couldn't tell you. Anyway, okay. We've also got Pia Mia, who is apparently a YouTube sensation, who is cast as Tristan in a gender flip lesbian introduction, because apparently the film thought that they should make amends for how bad the material is by actually being a bit diverse and having a few mm. queer characters. Mm. It doesn't help. It doesn't no. make them more interesting. Mm-mm. And then we've got the adults. Peter Gallagher as Chancellor Ken Scott, who is Harden's dad. Oh, that's who that was. He's from the OC. Right. You wouldn't know. No, but I mean, I've seen his face before. Yes. <laughs> Many people like to comment on his bushy eyebrows. So that's Peter Gallagher. We've got Jennifer Beals slumming as Karen, his yeah. fiance. She is the source of Harden's hatred. She and his dad, because that's what contributes to his sob story. Yeah, where his mom gets gang raped and he tries to stop it from happening. But I, we have no just, context for why or what or wahoo. I don't care. I just don't <laughs> care. That should be something that is heartbreaking and horrible and terribly upsetting. And I don't care. No, I don't care. I don't care about any of these people. And then finally, the sole shining light in all of this is Selma Blair as Tessa's mom, Carol. And it's mostly just because Selma Blair looks so good in this mm -hmm. movie. And I'm so happy to see her on screens after her MS diagnosis from earlier this year. So I was really happy to see that she's still doing work. She's looking really good. I actually thought that they had removed Tessa's mom and given her an older sister. <laughs> yeah, she does. Because I was like, Selma Blair, you're looking so hot. No, I thought the same thing in the first scene. I was like, who's this like older friend or sister? What's happening? Mm-hmm. The only redeeming feature of the film, as far as I'm concerned, is the reworking of the mom to be a normal human being. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she just seems mildly strict, mm -hmm. but they also cut her out. So she doesn't think none of these parents have anything remotely no. interesting to do unless no. they need a conflict so that they can introduce more fighting between Tessa and Harden. And it's a shame because actually the Ken, Karen, Tessa dynamic was one of the parts of the book that I actually enjoyed. One of the, the few tolerable part. sections. Yeah. yeah. Those interactions actually seem mildly genuine. They seem to have some stakes. Yeah. So before we go into your criticisms, sure, I did I want to give you something to hate the world about. Okay. The budget for this film was $14 yeah. million. Mm. Praise be, in North America, the film only made $12 million. So you would think... Oh, that's disappointing. Now we will never have to see any more after properties. No. And no. then the rest of the world came along. Really let us down, rest of the world. Goosed the profits yep. up to 69 million worldwide. And there is a sequel in development now. We have an increasing non-Canada US listenership. And I just Yay. want to say every one of you uh, lives in a so country that let me down. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, I was so excited when I saw the first weekend box office because yeah. I was convinced that that meant that we would never have to talk about this again. Yeah. So yes, the rest of the world were very disappointed in you. Shout out to our international listeners, do better. <laughs> but one reason to be disappointed with our North American listeners is the recent results of the Teen Choice Awards. Yes. Which I'll thank Dummies. Cody for bringing up. So after one... Shout out to Cody's delight in our suffering. Yes. This week, by the way. Yeah. 
So after picked up three different awards at the Teen Choice Awards, it won Best, or sorry, Choice Drama Movie, Actor for Hero Finds Tiffin, and Actress for Josephine Langford. Okay. And just to okay. put it into context, mm-hmm. Noah Centineo and Laura Morano also won for Comedy for The Perfect Date, see previous episode and choice sci-fi fantasy tv show with shadow hunters and katherine mcnera okay so i want to say our general premise on this show is that we should trust teens and that young people are smarter than we give them credit for yes and we spend a lot of time trying to make that argument and then and then you go and do this you let us down (laughs) everything about this film and this book i feel like i'm just let down by yep I feel like I'm owed personally an apology for this. Here are the two things that I want you to know that I learned in my research for today's episode. Okay. The first is that there's currently a petition on change.org to get either a recut of this film with a hard R (laughs) or to insist that after we crashed, which is the next movie in the series, have a hard R rating. Sure. So that's the first thing I wanted you to know about. Okay. Where the can s- I sign this? <laughs> the second thing that I need you to know is that there is a massive movement, I will call it, online, because a lot of readers, mm-hmm. fans, watchers of the film were very disappointed in the fact that Hardin is less abusive in the film. Oh. To quote... One uh, 19-year-old luminary on the Twitters, how dare they, quote-unquote, pussify Oh. Mm-hmm. And so Anna Todd has responded to those complaints to announce with great joy that... He will be more abusive? The Harden in film number two will be, quote-unquote, our Harden. Meaning, wow. yay, more abusive. <laughs> Because that is the one redeeming feature of the film is that I don't think it's as damaging a text no. <laughs> because it's very bland. But he's not controlling. He's just whiny. And yes. uh, I much prefer a whiny Arden to the abusive monster from the book. Yeah. Again, I don't know how hard we want to come down on Wattpad and the types of content that they're putting out because I feel like we're seeing a limited selection and I would, you know, I'd really like to see other types of Wattpad properties either be adapted or go on to acclaim so that we could get a sense of the diversity of different stories being published. Because the the two properties that we've seen both are only interested in toxic relationships, which reinforce this idea that if a person hurts you physically and emotionally, that equals love. And if the main audience for these texts our teenage girls yes holy moly well and you would think wattpad is in its ideal form a wildly democratic medium mm-hmm. where we should be seeing more than just bored white ladies publishing books right so why are the success cases coming out of white pa- wattpad all uh, white, white ladies? <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit of a white pad there i said it prove us wrong also I'm actually not coming down hard on Wattpad in my criticism here. This is going to echo back to the kissing booth again, but like... It's the editors at Simon & Schuster? Where is the editorial process here? This book did not need to be 600 pages. And friend of the show, Hannah McGregor, made a great point, which is that they know 
that people are just going to buy it. It had a billion readers on Wattpad. This is, by the way, expanded from the Wattpad version. Oh, good. It says so on the cover. So they know that they've got a readership. They don't need to pour money into editorial process, which is expensive. And Hannah so has never depressed me more <laughs> than with that observation. Hannah McGregor is a professor of publishing at Simon Fraser University. She knows her stuff. And I was just so profoundly bummed out when she made a very good case for why they don't bother editing these things. Yeah. If people want examples of bad, repetitive, rote writing, please feel free to pick up a copy of After mm. from your local garbage or... <laughs> You know, maybe a tiny free library where someone has probably said, here, take this drug for free. Mm -hmm. And just look at it as an example of, wow, this is the democratic process at work. Literally anyone can now publish, even this person. So, I don't know, do we want to talk more about... No. <laughs> no, just cancel, cancel this book, cancel this movie. Okay, so as I was saying before, like the adaptation to me is interesting in that, I mean, it's not interesting. It's very no, bland. It but... is. I fell into a Twitter hole because that's actually <laughs> the real reason why I had to look at the plot of the film. <laughs> I just couldn't stay interested. And when they started to do these narrative leaps and bounds where they move in together, where they go to yeah. the wedding, because I presume they will go to the wedding in a successive book, but in the film they shoehorn it in as the big thing before the deflowering and joe i could not care joe they go to the wedding in the book <laughs> joe is this where i say that i had to start skimming because i couldn't <laughs> you missed the wedding <laughs> so we were reading an ePub version of this and you said 600 pages so i left 200 pages to read last night and then I ran out of time, and I also could not make myself care, so I started to skim. Oh my god, that's why you didn't know about Catcher in the Rye, too! <laughs> oh. This is the first property on this podcast that I have been unable to bring myself to finish. Oh, heavens to Murgatroyd, Joe. I'm sorry. I would say I feel like I've let our listeners down, but I feel like I actually just did myself a solid. <laughs> I feel like you I let protected me down. Myself. I was suffering alone. I mean, top-notch self-care, but like uh, pretty crappy co-hosting. You know what? I knew I could rely on you <laughs> because you always make it through the garbage. My favorite thing about this is that you've taken a lot of English classes in your life, Joe. Mm -hmm. You've fudged a lot of books. <laughs> You couldn't make it through one podcast episode without giving the game away. <laughs> I thought I was going to be able to make it. And then you had to call me out. You had to call the bluff. Well, I didn't want people writing in being like, they absolutely go to the wedding. What are you talking about? That would be more embarrassing for you. You could cut all this out if you I wanted. I was going to say, I'll just edit this all out. <laughs> Nobody needs to know. We keep it for the last episode. 100% don't blame you. Uh, yeah. It's interesting, I never thought I would really say this because I don't actually believe it most of the time, but I do think that the PG-13 rating really did hamper them. And I'm using air quotes once again because you shouldn't be reliant on the sex to be no. able to sell this movie and make it more interesting. But that's but... literally all the book has. Yes. So it's like, hi, we took a book that exists only because teenage girls 
want to read something sexy and have a hard time accessing sexy things to read. Also, apostrophe sidebar, I don't think it's just teen girls. No, sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say it that way. I just, in thinking in terms of like the cultural limitations on sexuality and representation, right. I should not be so binary in my thinking. And I apologize for that. Thank you for calling me out on it, Joe. It was mostly just, I actually think that the real market for this are anatods. The women oh, yeah. who are so f- the women who are so bored yeah. with their own lives yeah. that, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to be really dismissive of this. If your level of excitement in life is being engaged in fan fiction about boy bands and you are a middle-aged mom. We're going to get mail, Joe. Don't finish that thought. We're going to get mail. <laughs> I think people can do better. You know, if she had have written this, and I'm thinking of Stephanie Myers, and I'm thinking of everybody else who starts a career because they have a passion, because they have a drive, by all means, embrace that. But don't do yourself the injustice of turning out crap. Like, this book could have had interesting things, and this film could have been better, but they're so happy to clear a very low bar for what passes as entertainment, as literature, as film, as even erotica. Well, this is the thing, and I think it's worth pointing out here that I'm not a romance reader myself. There is really good stuff out there. Like, there are good writers, and there is good criticism, and there are blogs you can go to to find good content. The main one that I think of when I think of romance bloggers is Smart Bitches Trashy Books, which is a great (laughs) website. What a great title. Right? Super good. But there's lots of them out there. You know, Romance Landia as like a blogging community is huge. And there's people out there who will help you find, you know, books that talk about whatever it is you want to read about in your erotica, in your romance. And erotica and romance are not the same thing. I'm not using them interchangeably. But this book is an erotica that is masquerading as a romance and it's doing neither successfully. No. And it's talking down to its audience. Oh my God. And it's feeding into lies about gender roles, about love, about sex. Like, honestly, I read this book and thought that it was harmful. Yes, it is harmful. It is harmful. And I will say that and I will stand by it forever. I'm especially disturbed that given the context in which she is writing, that she's decided to write for teen readers, I find profoundly troubling. Yes. It's one thing to want to write romance. It's one thing to have abusive fantasies this is a thing for for lots of people and there are aspects of both romance and erotica that will cater to that it's another thing to sell it to teenagers and to sell it to teenagers as a romantic ideal is disgusting yeah as evidenced by that tweet that you read out which is where is our harden the person who hurts the main character and takes pleasure in doing so And then flips it around and makes her feel bad about herself. I mean, I don't think Tess is a gem either. But she's also the victim of wild gaslighting. Exactly. Constant. Constant gaslighting. Yeah. Presidential level gaslighting. Oh, don't go there. (laughs) I can't talk about Orange Cheeto. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Joe, I don't want to talk about this anymore. No, let's not then. (laughs) I really sincerely apologize and I hope that people didn't join us on reading the book to be honest the movie is kind of a dumb diversion it's so yeah it's so bland it is it's the most forgettable quote-unquote romance I've ever seen yeah it's nothing at all it's a trifle it's not even enjoyable 
when I programmed this, I thought that it would be kind of fun. Yeah, I, I didn't know you did. realize that it would just make me sad. No, and yet here we are. We're sad. Yeah, I um, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I do not either. <laughs> I was halfway through the book, halfway through the portion of the book that I managed to read. <laughs> They go to a wedding? <laughs> I thought that I Love You, Beth Cooper was a worse book. Yeah. And it maybe still is, if only because it's actually written as a competent book yeah. by a talented writer. Yeah. Very Who just failed. badly. Yeah. But I also don't like the fact that this book exists and that people have given their time and their money to it as a property. This book is harmful, and it is rendered more harmful than something as egregious as I Love You, Beth Cooper, by virtue of the fact that a billion downloads have occurred. Yeah. And I think that we talk on this show a lot about why it's important to talk about the popular, because it's what informs culture. Yes. And that's true when things are bad, maybe even more pressingly than when things are good. And I, I would never advocate for someone... We don't telling do their censorship. teenager not to read the book. I yeah. would never advocate for that. But I would say if you're a parent or you're a cool aunt or, a, you know, a, a rockin' older friend and you see this book on the shelf of a teenager you know and like, have a conversation with them. Yes. Don't trash it. Don't make fun of it. You know, we all tried that route with Twilight. It got us nowhere. <laughs> but have a conversation with the teenager in your life who likes this text and talk about why it's maybe needs to be read critically. That's yes. all I'll say. Yeah. I hope that those conversations are happening. I worry that they're not. Yeah. No, that's very sage advice. Mm-hmm. Talk to your kids about Wattpad. <laughs> <laughs> it's 11 o'clock. Do you know what Wattpad your child is reading? <laughs> oh, yes. As the kids head back to school, do you know what Wattpad they're reading? Yep. Okay. Brenna, do you have a YA bingo category for after? Bingo! Not a good bingo. I do, Joe. So I have one that I seriously want to add to our card, and then now I have one that I just want to add as a gag. Can I add two today? Sure. Okay. Because I have a feeling we may have an overlap anyway. So the serious one I want to add is abuse. Ooh, okay. I'm really hoping that we see, and I know that we have some text on the course that, or on the course, (laughs) everybody's in my classroom. (laughs) I know we have some texts coming up that deal with abusive relationships more effectively, with more nuance, with more care. Yes. But I think that this has come up a lot on the show. Surprisingly. Unfortunately. The idealization of what are profoundly abusive relationships. And so I think we should we should flag it and we should track it and we should watch it. And that's one thing we can use our bingo card for is not fun as it is. Yeah. And my other one is now, because I'm never going to let you forget this, I want to track every time there's a wedding in a book. So I'm putting wedding on the card. Okay. (laughs) If you simply must. I must. I must. This whole season, we'll just keep talking about all the weddings Joe didn't read. I'm going to start telling you there's weddings in books just to see if you've been paying attention. Really? Really? You want to go there? Okay. I do. I so do. Joe, I read all 600 pages. I will never let you forget that you skipped some of it. Gauntlet throw, <laughs> Clark Gray. So I have two, and I'm going to let you pick which one you think will get us more bingo dabs. Virtual. <laughs> That's what they're actually called. Are you dabbing? 
Are you are you down with the kids? Are you having a dab? <laughs> uh, I prefer a floss. Thank you. <laughs> so I have sexual awakening. Oh yeah. Or doomed romance. Oh yeah, both so good. I think sexual awakening will get us further. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was my first inclination. Yeah. And then I did want to also flag the fact that in the time that we were technically off and the first couple of episodes of the new season were airing, mm-hmm. we did actually get a write-in. So we're going to reference Yay! Cody again. Cody, and Cody. He came up with one that he was having difficulty verbalizing. So I tried to rework it. It's when characters make bad decisions for the greater good. So I tried to synthesize that down to do bad for the greater good. Okay, I like that. Yeah, so we we now have that in contention as well. Nice. Thanks, Cody. And remember that the bingo card is not full yet, so if you've got some set pieces you'd like us to watch for, some favorite tropes of the category, go ahead and send those in. You can find us on the Twitters mm-hmm. at hashtag HKHSPod. That'll get you both of us. Yep. Joe, where can they find you if they want to yell at you specifically about not having read the wedding scene? I am at B stole my remote. That's the letter B. And if you want to commiserate with me because you also did read the wedding scene, I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's <laughs> Gray with an A. And if you want to send us something longer, so we have been getting a few correspondence from people. It was so nice to hear from folks over the break. Yeah, so thank mm-hmm. you for sharing with us the books that you've been reading or your recommendations. We do really like them. I'll make a greater effort to acknowledge people specifically in the text that they want to give a shout out to in <gasps> coming episodes. Can we talk about the book trailer that Leo sent us real quick? Absolutely. Go for it. It's fantastic. So was it for a school project or I just think for so. fun? Leo had cut together a trailer for The Giver that actually looks like a movie I would want to watch. (laughs) As opposed to the movie we did watch two (laughs) weeks ago. Yeah, so thank you so much for that. And folks, we love hearing from you and we love getting book recommendations and we love seeing that kind of stuff. Fan art, whatever, we want it. So send it in. Absolutely, yeah. Not for after. I don't want to ever talk about this book again unless it's to gently roast me for not finishing. But apart from that... Not so gently. It's fine too. Let's purge this book from our collective (laughs) memories. In fact, Brenna... Yes. I'm excited because... We're actually going to be talking about a good property next week. We are, and we have a special guest, but maybe we'll keep that a secret until we air. Yes. But uh, next week we're talking about Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Don't at me, America. It's Philosopher's Stone. (laughs) I was wondering if you were going to bring that up. Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. I just feel like every American teenager, young person, middle grader should be really insulted that some publisher somewhere was like, oh, Americans aren't going to know what philosophers are. No, they only know a sorcerer. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get into that and so much more next week. Yes, I'm very excited. It's uh, actually Harry Potter's American 21st birthday. So to coincide with that, yeah, we're going to read Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Whoop whoop. That's your cue. To All wrap right. us up. <laughs> it's rusty. It's been a while. <laughs> so until next time, folks, and I really, I just want to say one last time, if you did read after for us, we apologize. we're sorry. Yeah, we're really sorry. We'll see you on a much better page. Yes. And maybe a slightly better screen. We'll have to have that conversation. (laughs) Bye-bye.